before I dive into Second Peter with you this morning, I need to make a clarification. I preached a sermon right here in July from the book of Zechariah the prophet, and in the course of my preaching, I made a statement that I did not give you a little more information on, and I have thought about it ever since then. In that sermon, I told you that the angel of the Lord, this is where the high priest Joshua is standing before the Lord, and the devil is standing there as well as the angel of the Lord, and I told you that the angel of the Lord and the Lord are, are synonymous. The terms are synonymous there, but I didn't tell you why, so I need to tell you why. <laughs> Oftentimes in the Old Testament, you see what we call a Christophany, a demonstration of the second person of the Trinity before he comes, of course, in flesh and blood. In Zechariah, that uh, third chapter there, when you see the angel of the Lord spoken of, that is a Christophany. You'll notice as you read through that, the angel of the Lord, of course, speaks as the Lord. But I needed to clarify that because it's not an angel that's been created. No, no, no. It is a Christophany, a demonstration of the Lord before he comes in flesh and blood in the New Testament. And now we will dive into Second Peter. In our study of the New City Catechism this summer, we looked at ten questions and answers on God, humanity, creation, comfort in life and in death, as well as the Ten Commandments. And I thought after spending the summer working through the New City Catechism as a church, it'd be, it would be fitting for us today to look at the Apostle Peter this morning as we transition in our studies in our church. And I would like for you to look with me in your Bibles, be it your hard copy Bible or on your telephones. Please look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. Simeon Peter, or Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped 
from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't you pray with me? Your word, O oh God, is light. It is light for the paths that we walk this day. And Lord, if you allow us to draw breath on tomorrow, it will shine light for the paths that we have tomorrow. Holy Spirit, speak afresh that we may see you, our God, and see ourselves and know that Christ is our only hope in this life and the world to come. I'm going to give you a quote from a book entitled Spiritual Disciplines. It's written by a man by the name of Donald Whitney. He says, so many professing Christians are so spiritually undisciplined that they seem to have little fruit and power in their lives. I've seen men and women who discipline themselves for the purpose of excelling in their profession discipline themselves very little for the purpose of godliness. I've seen Christians who are faithful to the church of God who frequently demonstrate genuine enthusiasm for the things of God and who dearly love the Word of God trivialize their effectiveness for the kingdom of God through a lack of discipline. Spiritually, they are a mile wide and an inch deep. They are, excuse me, there are no deep, time-worn channels of communing discipline between them and God. They have dabbled in everything but disciplined themselves in nothing. This morning, I want us to see five things, five points, here in 2 Peter, dealing with eternal matters that indeed should weigh upon us now. The first point I want you to see, we see in verse 1, is this. Very simply, God provides for His people. God provides for His people. The letter is written by a slave. I know in your Bibles there you see the word servant, and that's fine, but I want you to see what the word is. <laughs> slave. 
Peter would have done anything the Lord commanded him to do at this point. He is an apostle. He writes this letter to a particular audience. He says, to those who have obtained, to those who have received a faith of equal standing with us. Well, what in the world are you talking about? Equal standing with us. He says, your standing with God, meaning your relationship with God now is just, it was given to you just like it was given to us, the apostles and the other disciples of Jesus. He he says that God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, has secured your standing with God, your faith, your trust, your ultimate dependence on God. The letter is written to a people who believe in God, to a people who trust in Jesus. Well, this man writes to remind God's people, as I said earlier, of what matters most. And I'd like for you to look down in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 12 to 15. You need to hear where Peter is coming from. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, just as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me he's a about to die. Many think that he was actually in prison in Rome when he wrote this. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is about to be martyred for the faith, but he desires that God's people continue in the truth of the faith, in the knowledge God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he gives a blessing. He gives a blessing, and what I think is interesting here is the blessing and the greeting, it seeks the flourishing, the flourishing of God's grace and God's peace in God's people in a specific way, in the knowledge, in the knowledge. I will not be able to say that enough today. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. God provides for his people. And number two, all you have, God has given. All you have, God has given. Verse three, Peter says, God has given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. The car you drove here in this morning. The eyes after your eyelids opened this morning that you saw your room with this morning, or the ears that you heard things with as you got up this morning. Well, Peter, how has God given all things for life and godliness in this particular context? What are you talking about? God supplies you with all things for life and godliness through the knowledge. My dad used to say amen, Brother Little. Through the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus Christ. I hope you see that right there in verse 3. Through the knowledge of God. Through the knowledge of God, we understand some things. And when you hear the knowledge of God, you need to know that he's talking about the Word of God. We come to church on Sundays to sing, to pray, and to hear the Word of God. Peter, given authority along with the other apostles by the Word of God, his duty was to proclaim and to teach the Word of God. It was to increase people's knowledge of God, not to make them, so to speak, eggheads, but to teach them to know God. Through the knowledge of God, we understand some things. Number one, you have nothing without Christ. Absolutely nothing without Christ. Number two, your life is meaningless without Christ. Number three, God has declared you as righteous through Christ. You saw that back up in verse 1. How did these people obtain a faith of equal standing with ours? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It means God has given you, we use this word, salvation. God has rescued you. God was angry with you because your heart was in rebellion to God. The things of God that are good and right, of course, all things of God are good and right. We, before we had the knowledge of God in a loving way, we didn't need God. Well, God, through Christ, declares you, believer, as righteous. In God, you have everything that you need. Hear this. God is all sufficient, yes. And I want you to hear from Psalm 50, verses 10 to 15, how God himself declares he doesn't need anything. (laughs) We have to go to him for everything. He says, In Psalm 50, verses 10 through 15, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Some of you thought, where in the world is that in the Bible? It's in Psalm 50. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble, i.e., in your day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God supplies you with life, and God supplies you 
with all of life's needs. God is all-sufficient. In God, brothers and sisters, you've got everything that you need. And I know it doesn't seem like that sometimes, does it? Especially when we are in great need and great want, and it seems that God has forgotten about us. And yet, our brother preached to us about the life of Job, didn't he? Everything stripped away. And yet God was completely and totally in command. The positive statement is God has everything that you need. He has already given it to you. God has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Number three, all you need for godliness, God has supplied. All you need for godliness, God has supplied. You see this in verse 4. Peter says, God has given you what? His precious and very great promises. I I was just reading um, through, I get catalogs about different new books that come out in the theological world, and I was looking through a uh, catalog a week and a half ago, and in it I saw a a title and a subtitle that just caught my attention. It said, God is present in the promise. I was thinking about that when I was driving home one day last week. I almost had to pull over. God is present in the promise. Amen. Peter says God's promises are precious and they are very great. Well, we know what precious means, don't we? It means something very valuable, something highly honored, something that is deeply treasured. Great is a word indicating magnitude or the largeness of something. It's a superlative. What purpose then or purposes does God's promises serve? What purposes do God's promises serve? Hear this. Through God's promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's right there (laughs) in 2 Peter. Through God's promises, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord, you become made partakers of the divine nature. Now, does that mean you become God? No. It means that you are united to God. You are placed in union with God through Jesus. The death that he, the life that he lived, the death that he died, the newness of life that is in him as he has been raised from the dead and now sits in heaven where he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, the life of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus is placed upon you. You are made new. You become in the Christian life more and more like Christ. Your desires become more and more like Christ. Your thoughts indeed become more and more like Christ. The Bible teaches that you are transformed more and more into the new creation. 
until at last, one day you will see God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in eternity. You, the believer in Jesus, all the potential that's there, that God has placed there, he's working on you, and one day you'll stand before him gloriously in the new body that God has made for you. You will have escaped from the corruption that is in the world. And that, dear brothers and sisters, we see all around us, do we not? The shootings, the suicides of people, the breaking down of marriages, the poverty in the world. I was reading on the news a lady was teaching her son to drive. I think she worked for a, uh, a police department. She worked for some sort of uh, governing authority. And someone hit them while they were driving. She got out to confront the person, and the person just shot her dead in front of her son. That is a, that is the, that is a demonstration of a world filled with corruption. But God is changing his people. I want you to listen to some of God's promises throughout Holy Scripture, just five in particular. I say these because I do want you to know that God is present in the promise. Sinclair Ferguson is a, 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 a Presbyterian theologian and pastor, and he, he, he in, uh, when I was in college, I was listening. I was cleaning the kitchen one day. At, my roommates, it was my turn to clean the kitchen, but I was listening to uh, a message that Sinclair had given, and he said in it, he said, Martin Luther used to say, true religion consists in this, the ability to use personal pronouns. And then he said this, the Lord is my shepherd. Have you said that in your life? And you don't have enough money to pay the bills? And your spouse is not communicating with you the way you like when your children don't listen to you? When the job has not came through just yet? When people at work do not seem to understand what it is that you want them to understand? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my light, and he is my salvation. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Those of you who are working really, really hard, Jesus says, come to me. <clears throat> and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I, Jesus, am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, 
He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I went through a study in college called Sonship, and I loved it. I didn't love it when I was going through it, but I loved it after it was over. And I looked back over it, and all it was was it was, it was a deep, deep study on the reality of the gospel, how it affects your life, how it affects my life. And in the course of that study, I listened to several uh, lectures and one of them was a lecture by a man named C. John Miller, who is deceased and with the Lord now. But in it, he talked about, he, he was a pastor. He planted a church. He, he did a lot. But he, he talked about a time in his life where he went through great, great doubt, great, great trial in his family life. His daughter walked away from the faith. And he began to question God. He said, this lasted a while, but he said, you know, I thought all I can do is go back to the promises of God. And he began to pray through those promises. He beg and plead earnestly with God to answer. And God did. God answered. And used that man for some great ministry, which affected my own life. The fourth point is a series of questions. I'll read through them twice. Number four, what are you to do with all that God has given? What do you do with these precious and great promises? What do you do with the knowledge of God? Why is this gracious action of God eternally important for you? And I put the word gracious there because I want you to understand he didn't have to do it. What are you to do with all that God has given? What do you do with these precious and great promises? The letter was written to you. What do you do with the knowledge of God? Why is this gracious action of God eternally important for you? God is now remaking you, believer in Jesus, He's remaking you from the inside out. Do you know that? Do you meditate on that weekly? Or do you allow the sin inside you to fester and all you think about is what you cannot do? The Lord Jesus is not dead, you all. He is in heaven. And the Scripture says He reigns over the universe, even right now. Hallelujah. You don't have to say anything. Hallelujah. God is remaking you from the inside out. Because you are new in Christ, God has work for you. Amen. As he changes you from the inside out, God wants you to have living faith, faith that is alive, faith that demonstrates he lives within. The Bible says, God has given you all things 
pertaining to life and godliness. Therefore, Peter says, add these ingredients. I like to call them ingredients. Add these ingredients. Supplement these to your faith. But know that the only way you can do that is because God has already given them. Amen. You add nothing of yourself. God has given these to you for a living faith. Well, Peter, what are these ingredients? You see these, brothers and sisters, in verses 5 through 7, and I hope you're looking there right now. What are they? Virtue. Virtue. Behavior that demonstrates high moral standards, of course, in accordance with God's standards. Knowledge. And it should be evident here that it's the same knowledge he's talking about, about God. Self-control. Athletes in the the Greco-Roman world had to demonstrate self-control or discipline in order to get better at their craft. Steadfastness is another word for perseverance. Persevere. Don't give up. Godliness. An attempt to live the life that God has ordained for you to live, meaning be like God teaches. You're brand new. You are brand new. The sin you committed last night, in Jesus it is forgiven. Sins you did years and years and years ago, Jesus paid for those so that now you can be godly. Add brotherly affection. Love brother to brother and sister to sister and brother and sister. Love, affection for one another. And lastly, love. And I like to think of it like this. It's the love of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that love placed inside of you, believers. A promise also follows for you, believers. If you diligently swim in God's ocean of grace and diligently add these ingredients to your faith, and it's right there in verse 8, and I want you to hear it. For if these qualities are yours, you own them, you, you embrace them. And if these qualities are increasing, if they are multiplying, growing in your life, They keep you. They maintain you. They hold you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Wouldn't that be a horrific testimony to give to God on the day of judgment? They keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I I hope to apply it number five, this way, a very practical application. I'd like for you to set aside some time every day to read a passage of the Bible. How many times are you going to tell us that? As Peter says, as often as I can. Choose a book of the Bible and read a chapter a day. When you finish that particular book of the Bible, choose another. Keep reading. Share what you read with others. Well, Terrence, why is this important? For this reason, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, in John chapter 17, he prays what we call the high priestly prayer. You know that? 
John 17, verse 17, Jesus prays this in his prayer. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart. Set your people apart in what? The truth. What is the truth, brothers and sisters? Is it this? That's what the Lord says. Saturate them in the Bible. Why? In John 17, verse 18, Jesus says this, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you go to school tomorrow, as you go to work, or wherever it is that you go, you go, believer, as one Christ has sent into the world to what? To be effective, to be fruitful in the knowledge of our God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Do you know God wants to use you (laughs) on your job, in your neighborhood, in your family? Do you know he wants to use you to show others the great things of God? But God tells us we must trust him. The The last verse, in 2 Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, I just want to thank you for the knowledge of you, the knowledge of our Lord and of our Savior, of our King, of our Rescuer, I want to thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to read your word. And Lord, I confess in front of these, my brothers and sisters, that I do not always read the word as I ought. Oh, Lord, to be in your word indeed is to be in communion with the Spirit. And Lord, how you use us when we are obedient to your word. I pray for this church that we would love your word, Father. Use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.